Psalms chapter number 1 this evening, and I'd like to read just the first three verses. It's fascinating to me that the largest book in the Word of God begins with the word blessed. I don't think that's an accident, do you? That the largest book in the whole Word of God begins with the word blessed. Could it be that we're never going to experience the blessing of God till we get in the book? until we get saturated with it. Somebody help me tonight. I know it's a Sunday night. We can still preach. You can still worship. We can still say amen. They ain't going to put us in jail yet. Uh, could it be we're never going to experience the blessing of God till we get in the book and let the book get in us? So David begins the book of Psalms by saying, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Let's pray together. Lord, I love you tonight. Thank you for the truth of your word. Pray that the Spirit of God would take up his sword, would wield it, Lord, as he always does, with precision. And speak to each and every heart. And Lord, touch on that matter that stands between us and thee. Lord, we, we commit ourselves, I do, and I trust that those under the sound of my voice do as well, but I commit, Lord, to open my heart to you tonight and to be willing to be honest with myself and honest with you about anything that you deal with me about. Lord, I love you, and I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, sort of the thought that I delivered on Friday to the seniors, and, and, and I want to echo it tonight, is when you read this passage, a lot of folks, if they have a Bible reading plan, and I recommend that to you, you'll be a lot more diligent studying the Bible if you'll follow a Bible reading plan. And there are a lot of different ones, a lot of good ones out there. The one that we do with our daily devotional will take you through the Bible in one year, and it's non-repetitive. Uh, and I find that a lot of times people are real ambitious with Bible reading plans, sometimes too much. And they've got them, you know, reading through Psalms and Proverbs three times a month and the New Testament eight times a year and the Old Testament four times a year. And it's just more than the average person will set aside time to do. I like the one that we used for that. We prayed very diligently before we settled on that one to be the pattern for our devotional system because it is non-repetitive. If you follow it 365 days, uh, that'll take you through the whole uh, Word of God without taking you to any part of it twice. But there are a lot of good Bible reading plans. I think it's good to have a Bible reading plan. It'll help keep you on track, keep you on key, keep you accountable as you study the Word of God. And a lot of Bible reading plans, ours included, uh, one of the sections that it begins with in the new year is Psalms chapter number 1. This is a psalm of new beginnings. You say, how do you know that, preacher? Because it's the first psalm that David penned. Now, there's no reason, by the way, to believe that the psalms are in chronological order. In fact, we know for a fact that the psalms are not in chronological order. That tells me this, that the order that they're in was deliberately designed with a purpose. And God orchestrated in a unique way with the book of Psalms, really even more so than many of the other books of the Bible. He orchestrated and laid out that we'd approach the Psalms the way that we do as we read through them consecutively. And so I don't believe it's a stretch to say that the first Psalm has the intention of dealing with us and readying us for a new year. Uh, you know, as we come into 2019, and we're in it, amen? 
Uh, we're almost twelfth way through. I told them on Friday, listen, it ain't New Year ain't over yet until you're writing your checks with the right year on them. So for some of y'all, it'll be October before the new year sets in. And this year is still fresh in many ways. I don't know what 2018 was like for you. I know what it was like for me. I know God was far better to me than I deserved. I know that God did more in my life than I even expected Him to. But I will say this. I don't know what it was. Maybe we say this to ourselves every year. But 2018 was a hard year too. Seemed like a year that was just wrought with with challenges and obstacles and battles on every side, on every hand. And listen, if my 2019 looked like my 2018, I'd still have nothing to complain to the Lord about. But I do desire for this year for my life to be used of God in greater ways than it ever has before. And in this psalm, particularly in these three verses... I find the pathway, the the manner, the mechanism, the strategy of experiencing a blessed life. Now, let me tell you before we even get into the preaching, that what some folks mean by blessed and what other folks mean by blessed is two different things. When I say a blessed life, I don't necessarily mean your bank account's going to grow. I don't necessarily mean your waste is going to shrink. I don't necessarily mean that you're going to uh, be in a better situation as far as your job situation or as far as your relationships and your family. I'm not saying that uh, any of that's going to get better. But I don't think those things have to get better in order for God to bless you, nor do I think those things are synonymous with the blessing of God. I think what a lot of folks mean when they say blessed is charmed. And what they mean is for God to give me just what I want, and uh, to let me do just what I want, and to let me position myself in life just the way that I want. But i got news for you. There's times God knows more what we need than what we know. Am I right? There's times God knows more than what we know. Hey, listen, what if I came up to you and I said, Hey, i got something for you, and I pulled out a big old gold bar and handed it to you. That ain't going to happen. What if I came up to you and I gave you a choice? What if I came up to you and I handed you a big old piece of styrofoam? And I said, you can either have this styrofoam or you can have this gold bar. What would you choose? Gold bar. What if you was drowning? Sometimes what we think we need is not what we need. And sometimes what we don't even value or appreciate is the very thing that when we're drowning, we're going to need the most. There might be things that you'd say, this would be a blessing. But you really don't know what would be a blessing in your life. All you and I can do is commit ourselves to the will of the Lord and know that God knows more what we need than we know. So having a blessed life, I don't necessarily mean monetary increase. I don't necessarily mean increase in position or power or prominence. But I mean, how can we be blessed in the way that God wants us to be blessed in the way that God defines being blessed? Before we end tonight, I'm going to describe what the blessing of God looks like. But I I think to begin, we can all just merely say, we want the blessing of God on our life in this new year. That's what I want. And I trust it's what you want. I want you to notice three thoughts in this passage, and then we'll close. Look at verse number 1. The Bible says, blessed is the man that... Let's stop there. In other words, God says... A man that does these things is a blessed man. A man that does the opposite of these things is not a blessed man. 
Here we have our first hint about what the blessing of God looks like in a person's life. And the blessing of God is determined and dictated by how we choose to live our lives. This isn't even in my message. I told you I couldn't preach the same message twice. It wasn't in my message before I got up here to preach, and it wasn't in it on Friday. But, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of folks that they desire for God to bless them, but they won't live in a way that God can bless. Hey, listen, you understand if we're living in sin and God blesses us in that sin. Now, there are times God blesses us in spite of who we are. I'm aware of that. And don't none of us earn the blessing of God or are owed the blessing of God. But when we're living in abject sin and rebellion, for God to bless it would be for God to condone it and to place His imprimatur and His signature upon Him. You see this all through the Old Testament, man, with Israel. God said time and time again, Hey, listen, I would have done this, I would have done that, I would have done this, I would have done that. But you wouldn't let me. You limited the Holy One of Israel. And you wouldn't live in a way of faithfulness and obedience. Even the Lord Jesus stood over Jerusalem and He said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how oft would I have gathered thee under my wings as a mother hen doth her chicks, and thou wouldest not. In other words, the Lord says, I wanted to do this for you. I desire." In fact, He said, how often I wanted to. All the time I wanted to do that, but you would not let me. So how we live is going to dictate whether we enjoy the blessing of God in our life. Now, he gives three things. I want you to notice the path of the blessed man. Blessed is the man that what? Three things. One, walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Two, nor standeth in the way of sinners. Three, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Let me mention just very quickly to you three things that forfeit the blessing of God in our life. Not because God is angry at us. Not because God is trying to get back at us. Not because God is trying to uh, even coerce us. But because God cannot bless a disobedient life. Three things. One of the things that will rob the blessing of God in your life is seeking bad counsel. That's what he says. Blessed is the man that what walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. You know, I, I did say this to him on Friday, that, that very often I find that God's people, and when I say God's people, I mean people that are saved, but I would even go a, a step further. There's a lot of folks that are saved and they belong to the Lord, but they're not living for the Lord, they're not in church. But I'd even go a step further and I'd say even church people, people living for God, people faithful to church, people trying to live right, trying to do right, they are not very apt to go to a lost man for counsel. Now, there are times that we allow sort of the uh, mentality and philosophy of the world to define and dictate what directions we want to take in life. Uh, we, In other words, we let, we let a worldly philosophy dictate the decisions that we make. There are times that happens. But most of the time, God's people understand that if they go to someone that doesn't know God, that doesn't know the Bible, that doesn't know the truth, the Word of God, that has no interest in the things of God, and seeks counsel from them, they know they're going to wind up in a mess. And so it's interesting, the psalmist does not say, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the lost. He said, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. You know what I have seen? A lot. I'm talking about in eight years pastor, I've seen it a lot. I've seen people, when they want to make a wrong decision, find a Christian that's not living in a godly way, that's not faithful to the Lord, that's not got their heart in the right condition, that's not faithful to the Lord's house, and run to that person and seek counsel from them. 
Let me tell you, one of the quick ways to forfeit God's blessing is to go to those that are not in the will of God and seek counsel from them. Because let me tell you something, if they're out of the will of God, they're probably going to counsel you to get out of the will of God. Now, they won't say it in those terms, but they're not going to give you godly spiritual perspective and counsel. And pretty soon, hey, it don't take long. One or two bad decisions is enough to make shipwreck of us. And I find that when someone is out of the will of God, now you, you tell me if I'm wrong now, but I find that most of the time when somebody else is out of the will of God, they would sooner pull you out of the will of God than keep you in the will of God because they're looking for someone to affirm their position out of the will of God. You ever heard the statement, misery loves company? Listen, rebels always seek to recruit other rebels. And people that are walking in disobedience. And you can see it with little kids, man. Little kids uh, that when they do something wrong, especially if you raise siblings. I remember, I was raised a sibling. And I remember times uh, that, that I was the youngest, so I never did anything wrong. But times when my brother would be in trouble, he'd want to get me in trouble too. Why? Just so he wasn't the only one in trouble. Somebody else bear the burden. And there's a time or two I was able to pull it off on him too. Misery loves company. Disobedience will often seek for someone else to be disobedient with them. And this is doubly so of the saved when they're out of the will of God as it is of the lost in their lost condition. This is part of the reason, by the way, a lot of times when folks get soured up, angry and bitter up on God, what do they do? They start dying around on the phone and trying to put that same stuff in somebody else's ear. They don't, listen, they don't care about you. If they cared about you, if they was interested in, in, in keeping you in the will of God and walking with God, they wouldn't put that stuff in your head. Why are they doing that? They're looking for somebody else to affirm their disobedience. They're looking for somebody they can sit around and say, see, we're both right. One of the quick ways to wreck your life, to forfeit the blessing of God, is to seek bad counsel. We all need counsel. Every one of us. There's safety in a multitude of counsel. We all need counsel. We all need godly wisdom. We all need folks in our life that will tell us the truth, even when it's not easy to hear. But one of the most dangerous things is when we seek bad counsel and when we just look for someone to affirm what we already think. You know, you've, you've probably been come to by somebody looking for bad counsel. And the way you can tell is they ain't really interested in your opinion. They just want you to agree with them about what they already think. I'm telling you, it's a dangerous road to walk. Number one, seeking bad counsel. Number two, way to forfeit the blessing of God in your life is standing in bad conduct. I love how accurate and correct and perfect the King James Bible is. Because notice how it says it, that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners. There's a couple of thoughts that immediately come to my mind when I read that. One is this. Standing, if you stand in the way of sinners long enough, eventually you're going to start to live like them. And we're going to talk a a bit about this progression that we see take place here in a moment. But something else I find interesting is this. It says standing. You know why that is? Because if we had to altogether avoid sin in every way, shape, fashion, and form to enjoy the blessing and favor of God, wouldn't none of us ever enjoy the blessing and favor of God? You listen to me? There's every one of us, there's going to be times in our life where we step through the path and the way of the sinner. Uh, Probably every day of my life, if I was really, if I was holding myself to the same law that Old Testament Jews held themselves to, there's no question that a day don't go by that I don't do something that transgresses God. 
We're all going to sin. We understand that. The fact that we mess up, that we sin, that we choose sin, that we make a mistake, that we trespass God's Word and transgress God's law does not mean all is lost. Here's where the danger is. When you stand in the way of sinners. By the way, if you seek bad counsel, it won't be long before you will stand in bad conduct. Because if you're listening to somebody that's out of the will of God, and they're influencing and informing your life, pretty soon you're going to start living the way that they're living. And I want you to listen carefully to me. You cannot live in sin and expect God's blessing on your life. You cannot live in sin and expect God's blessing on your life. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it real slow. Not because you're dumb. Not because I'm dumb. But because I really want you to hear that. And I want it to sink in. I want you to remember this moment in this sermon. You know, most of the time when I want to remember something, if I just tell myself to remember it, that in and of itself triggers my memory of it. So I want you later on this week, when you think back about Sunday night's sermon, and you think, what did he preach on? I don't have a clue what he preached on. I want you to remember this, that living in sin, we cannot expect. The blessing of God. If we stand in the way of sinners, we forfeit God's favor and God's blessing. Now, we don't forfeit God's grace. We don't forfeit the position we have in the person of Christ. Ain't nobody talking about losing your salvation. You didn't have it in the first place. The Lord had it. Amen? But enjoying God's blessing and favor. In order to do that, the path we're going to have to take is not standing in the way of sinners. We're going to have to put a separation between us and a life of sin. Then notice the third thing, sitting in a bad condition. A way to forfeit God's blessing and favor, and these things feed off of each other. There is a natural logical extension, which by the way, this is interesting, isn't it? At first, he is seeking, then he is standing, then he is sitting. So in other words, at first he's moving, But then when he takes bad counsel, he stops moving and he stands. And then when he stands there long enough, pretty soon he figures he ain't going anywhere anyway. So he sits down in a bad condition. What do we mean by a bad condition? Nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. A scornful man is a man that mocks and makes fun of something. Can I use a word you might be familiar with? A person with a cynical spirit. There's folks sitting at home tonight, sitting at home tonight in the Lazy Boy, and said, I ain't no bother going to church. They're all a bunch of hypocrites anyway. Well, it's good they're not judgmental, isn't it? Right? Hey, I'll be the first to tell you we're all a bunch of hypocrites. Saved by God's grace and placed in the person of Christ. It's a good thing those people sitting at home in the lazy boy. And there's folks who wish they could be here in camp. Folks are sick. But I'm talking about those that are sitting in the seat of the scornful tonight. It's a good thing they ain't so judgmental like them church folks. Instead, they just sit in the armchair and say, I'm too good to associate with those church people. Pick your, hey, pick your flavor of hypocrisy tonight. They just sit at home and say, well, I ain't even going to go to church because everybody down there has got problems. Let me tell you one problem that ain't nobody got tonight, and that's too lazy to go to church. Not anybody that's here in the house of God, they don't. Yeah, we got problems. Line up. We've all got problems. And ain't nobody pretending otherwise. But why add to your problem by sitting in the seat of the scornful? Cynical, ugly, bitter spirit. 
Ain't no use in serving God. Don't matter anyway. None of it matters. Everybody's hypocrite. Everybody's, uh, they all just lie to themselves and so on and so forth. That's what they tell themselves. Why do they tell themselves? Because it's true about them. You know what I have found to be an occurrence, a phenomenon, in fact, in society today? Nine times out of ten, when propaganda is at play, you know how, you know one of the greatest tools of, of propaganda is projection? I accuse you of something that really I'm doing. I accuse you of something that really I am doing. We could have a thousand examples of it, right? Uh, can I give you one small example? Uh, all these people in Hollywood sit around talking about how, well, there's not enough diversity and you don't care enough about people and you're not compassionate. You're, you're out of touch with all the suffering and hurting in this world. While they're sitting up in a $40 million mansion with a wall built around their house. Hey, listen, the guilty conscience preaches the loudest sermon. Projection. Projection. And you know why they're sitting at home doing that complaint? It ain't everybody. I ain't got no... The, the chip done fell off my shoulder. My axes are at home already ground. But you know why they do that? Because they know. You know why that's in their mind? Is because that's what they're thinking. They know they're a hypocrite for doing that. And they're trying to just own that hypocrisy and pretend as though they're above the fray. The reality is this. You, you live in sin long enough, it'll bitter you. And you'll grow cynical and you'll grow scornful. And you'll grow angry at those that are living right and doing right. What's the opposite of cynicism? It's hope. Hope. Cynicism says, why even bother? It ain't going to matter anyway. Hope says, I'm going to dare to trust. Because I believe God can. A blessed life is a life full of hope. That gives people grace even when they mess up. And do wrong. That understands that we are but flesh. And that we are but dust. But loves us anyway because God loves us. A blessed man, his path is not going to be seeking bad counsel. He's going to seek godly counsel. He's not going to stand in bad conduct in the way of sinners. Instead, he's going to live in righteousness. And if he sins, which he will sin, because we all sin, he repents of it and asks God's forgiveness and then it's not the seat of the scornful. It's not those sitting around judging everybody else and pretending as though they're not judgmental. But rather it's those that instead of looking outwardly, look inwardly and say, how can I get my life right? How can I do more for the Lord? How can I serve God in a greater way? So I see in this passage the path of a blessed man. Look at verse number 2. The Bible says this, but... He does not do these three things, but... Now, I want you to stop and notice this. Because... If I was writing it, this is how I would have said it. Now, I'm not changing the Bible, but I want you to notice this. I would have said this if I had been the Holy Ghost, if I had been writing it. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but walks in the counsel of the godly, stands in the way of the righteous, and sits in a place of humility and sincerity. That's how I would have written it. Something to that, uh, something to that sign and something to that symbol. But that's not what... The Holy Ghost does. Instead, He don't say anything about what is the opposite of those conditions. Do you know why? Because you and I already know what the opposite of those conditions are. Here's the question. We, listen, we want good counsel. I do. I trust you do. I want to walk in wisdom in 2019. I, I don't want to stand in the way of the sinner. I, I, I want to walk in righteousness in 2019. 
And I don't want to have a bad spirit. Man, I want, I want to walk in faith and hope and love and, and walk in excitement and zeal and determination for the Lord. I want that. And here's the question. How do we do it? You probably started out 2018 intended on doing that. And 2017 and 16 and 15. And probably every year since you've been born again, you've started out the year and said, I want this to be the year I grow in the Lord. We know what. Here's what we're missing. How. And so that's what the Holy Ghost speaks to in verse 2. When he says, but, what he's going to offer us is not merely the mirror image of verse 1, but rather the reasonable, effectual path to what is the mirror image of verse number 1. This is how we do it. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. We said at the beginning of the message that it is no accident that the biggest book in the Bible begins with the word blessed. And if we're going to enjoy a blessed life and a blessed year in 2019, then we're going to have to get in this book and this book get in us. And the psalmist lays it all out for us in verse number 2. Notice the passion of the blessed man. I see two things. One, he loves the Word of God. He delights in the law of the Lord. His delight is in the law of the Lord. You know, typically things that delight me are things that I'm interested in. I remember before I had kids, me and my wife, we weren't old by any means, but we were married for, what, three years, four years, 15 years, something like that. We were married for a few years uh, before we had children. And I've always kind of like kids. I was a youth pastor, you know, but, um, you know, people would tell me about things their kids did. And I was always polite, you know. They'd be like, oh, let me tell you what little Johnny did. And they'd tell me this story about how he, you know, pooped out a Lego or something. And I was like, oh, okay. And I'd be like, that's great. I'm excited for you. But really inside, I was thinking, I don't care. Why would I care? I, I don't care about your kids. Nobody cares about that. What is the matter with you that you would talk to someone about that? It's the most boring topic I've ever heard in my life. I didn't delight in their kids. Now i got two of my own. And I, I, I find myself cornering people that don't have children and saying, let me tell you what my kid did. And I see that same blank, uncomfortable look on their face. And they're like, I don't care. And I'm like, no, I know, but it's so cute. <laughs> I delight in my children. So I'm interested in them. I, listen, I'm far more interested in my kids than in your kids. I like your kids. But my kids are my kids. I care about everything they do. I don't even know why I care. Sometimes I sit there and think to myself, why do I even care? Why do I care that he just made that noise? But I do. Because he's my child. And I love him, and I delight in, in, in my children, and, and I want them to do well and do right and grow. And I pay careful attention to them, because they're mine. A blessed man cares what the Word of God says, every bit of it. This is something that, listen, lost people cannot understand, and something that carnal people don't understand when you talk about the King James Bible issue. And they'll say... Why are you making such a big deal out of that? And they'll say, what does it matter if it's a little different here or there? But listen, you ain't just talking about my Scriptures. You're talking about my Savior. Amen. And I care. 
And that's not to say that everybody that is maybe not informed on the issue or even that takes a different uh, position than I do that they don't love the Lord. I'm not trying to imply that. There's a lot of folks who love the Lord and are just wrong. If you had to be right to love the Lord, none of us be in church. But it matters. It matters because my delight is in the law. I want to know exactly what God says. I don't just want to kind of know what God says. I don't just want to know some of what God says. I figure if God took the time to give it, then it must be important enough for me to get it. And I delight in the law of the Lord. I was telling a story this morning in Sunday school about a... Uh, I was Well, it's not my story. I was listening to a preacher preach and uh, a pastor in town here, and he said that uh, a few Sundays ago, after the evening service, that there was kind of a clamor, like kind of a noise uh, at the side of the auditorium. And one of the men came up to him and said, Pastor, some folks down there causing trouble. And he said, you know, well, well, who are they? And he said, well, it's a couple of Jehovah's Witnesses, a man and his wife down there, and they're, they're stirring up trouble. And so he said, well, I'll be there in a second. And he walked down there to him, and he said, folks, listen, why don't we slip back in my office and have a conversation? So they went back into the office and he told them, he said, look, now, if you want to come and hear the preaching and, and, and be peaceful and be, you know, respectful, then you're welcome to be here. But if you've just come to start trouble, then uh, you just need to move along. We're not going to tolerate that. And so the Jehovah's Witness, the husband, he started in about all the different, you know, uh, differences. It's a cult is what it is, you know, and started in about trying to preach his, his cult stuff. And that preacher said, listen, man, you don't even know what you're talking about. He said, you didn't even have a Bible till 1951. Before 1951, our Bible was your Bible. And then in 1951, all of a sudden, the Watchtower comes out with their own Bible. He said up until 1951, it said that Jesus was the Son of God, not a Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. And the guy said, well, what does it matter? What does it matter if it says a or, or the? And he said, well, I'll tell you what. Your wife, she's probably not a theologian, but why don't we let her decide? I, I, we'll ask her one question. And we'll ask her the truth of the matter. Whatever she says, it stands. And I'll accept it and you accept it. Do you agree to that? And he said, yeah, I do. And he looked at the woman and he said, do you want to be a wife or the wife? <laughs> Boom. Settled. Settled. It matters a lot. It matters if you delight in the law of the Lord knowing exactly what God said. Even the obscure passages. Even the passages that you don't think it matters about. It matters. Because if it didn't matter, God wouldn't have said it the way He said. Do you understand that a whole theological construct hinges in the book of Galatians on whether a word is plural or singular? You remember He said, uh, talking about the promise given to Abraham concerning his seed, He said, not as unto seeds as of many, but unto seed as of one. The Apostle Paul said that seed is Christ. He said, well, preacher, if there's little differences, it don't matter. That's not what Paul would have said. Paul said, hey, this whole doctrine hinges on whether that's a singular or a plural word. It matters. It matters. I ain't mad about it, but I do think I'm settled about it. I'm not mad about it, but I do think I'm right about it. Not because I'm right, but because God took great and careful care to give us His Word. See, a blessed man loves the Word of God, doesn't resent it, doesn't detest it, he doesn't dismiss it. A blessed man wants to know what God has to say to him. You want your life to be blessed in 2019? Get in the book, man. And read it. You say, I don't understand it. So? If you had to understand it before you'd read it, you wouldn't never get anything done in life. Think about how foolish that is. I have to understand it in order to read it. 
Is that how you approached your schooling? Is that how you approached the, the, the instructions for your barbecue grill? Putting it together, you read them and still don't understand them. He's back there with Google trying to translate the Japanese instructions. I don't have a clue what any of this means. But you hung in. You wanted to grill. I'm saying if it's important to you, you'll devote yourself to it. He delighteth in the law of the Lord. i got to move on. Let me give you a second thing. Not only is the blessed life, how do we become blessed? How do we enjoy the blessing of God? Of course we don't seek bad counsel. We seek godly counsel. Of course we don't stand in bad conduct. Instead, we walk in righteousness. Of course we don't sit in a bad condition. If we find ourselves in bad shape, we go to God, we ask forgiveness, we repent, we get our hearts right. But how can we guarantee that these things are going to be persistent in our life and present? First... We love the Word. Then number two, not only does he love the Word, he labors in the Word. The Bible says, in his law doth he meditate day and night. Every day, every night, he's got that mind fixed on the Word of God. Thinking about it. Pondering it. I like that word meditate. Can I put another word beside it? And that's the word marinate. Because that's what we need. Uh, to, to meditate is really a lot like marinating. To just lay in it and stay in it, man. And you don't have to understand everything about it, but you just keep thinking on it, you keep praying on it, you keep studying it, you keep reading it, and eventually, hey, the light will break through. You pray about it. The psalmist prayed about it. He said, Lord, open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Something you don't understand, pray about it. But our problem is we want, to, we want to stay away from that book six days out of the week and then on Sunday open it up to some random place like we're picking lotto numbers, read a chapter and say, well, I don't understand that. Well, duh, of course you don't understand it. Open any book to the middle and read a page and ask me if you understand it. Oh, man, instead get in it and stay in it and let it get in you. Let, this thing is not rocket science. I, and I'm not saying there's not deep, man, there's deep truths. There's how uh, unsearchable are the riches of Christ. They're deep things. I'm not saying they're not, but I'm saying this, you ain't never going to learn anything about it if you won't get in it. Me and my wife were talking about this on, on the way home from the restaurant today. We were talking about the Word of God. And one of the things I've found is that a lot of times, you know, if I don't have any direction from the Lord or if I'm seeking God's wisdom, there is a tendency to get to, to sit there. We call it analysis paralysis, where you sit there and you put the Bible down and somehow you think by osmosis, by being in the in the vicinity, we believe that, that biblical wisdom is a communicable disease, that it will just impart itself unto us. It don't work like that. Open it and read it. You say, well, I read a chapter and it didn't help me. Well, I guess you needed to read two. Go ahead and read another one. What are you going to do? Turn on the idiot box? Like that's going to help you. I ain't against TV, but I'm probably against a lot of what's on it. And I'll say this, ain't none of it going to give you godly wisdom. I, I, listen, I'm not trying to be ugly, and I'm not trying to be cute either. But I am saying this, that a blessed man is somebody that gets in the Bible and stays in the Bible. It doesn't say he understands everything about it, but it says he meditates. He thinks on it. He dwells in it. He labors in it. If you want 2019 to be a blessed year, start reading your Bible. Make, have a plan. And read your Bible every single day systematically. There's going to be days you ain't going to get much out of it, not because of the Lord or the Bible, but because of you. But there'll be a lot of days. I promise you this, you ain't never going to get anything out of it if you don't ever get in it in the first place. Get in and read it and read it and read it and read it. 
You say, I didn't understand. Well, find something you do understand. Find something the Lord speaks to you about. I see in this passage the passion of the blessed life. And I want you to notice finally tonight, verse 3. What's it going to be like? Now we're getting to what you're wondering about. What does the blessed life look like? We said the blessed life doesn't mean a, a bigger bank account, a narrower waistline. It doesn't necessarily mean a better job. It doesn't necessarily mean better health. It can mean those things. Sometimes God does those things. But that's not what being blessed is. Instead, this is what a blessed life shall be like. Verse 3, He, the blessed man, shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. I see three things that are present in a blessed life. If you have these three things in your life, you are a blessed man or a blessed woman. If your family has these three things, you you have a blessed family. If your marriage has these three things, you have a blessed marriage. Number one, faithfulness. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Planted. Uh, Faithfulness is a rare thing. And to some degree it always has been. The psalmist himself said that the godly man ceaseth. And that who can find a faithful man? It is one of the great blessings of God for us to be faithful in walking with Him. I have learned this, and I don't keep track of it because it doesn't edify. I try not to keep track of it anyways. But I promise you, listen, there's folks sitting here tonight that won't be sitting here in 12 months. And not necessarily because God has moved them, not necessarily because they've gone, the will of God has said, but there's probably folks here that won't be here in 12 months because they won't be nowhere in 12 months except sitting in that seat of the scornful. But listen, if in 12 months you're still walking with God like you are today, in fact, you're walking with Him more, that's a blessed life. That's a blessed life. I don't know if you realize how statistically rare it is for someone to stay faithful to the Lord. I could take you through, man, I could, I've got, I've got records at home, I've got, I've got a box that, that's just stacked. With enough of these visitor cards that we fill out, and, and listen, I, a lot of those people found the will of God elsewhere. Some of them, uh, you know, might might not have. I was trying to look; I had one here somewhere. But our visitor cards that we give out, I got I got a whole box. If everybody that's come through had stayed, we would have had to have built six times over. Uh, listen, I, I, I mean, I'm serious when I say this. If everybody that's passed through in eight years had stayed, you'd have trouble fitting them in, in one of these big churches. Now, some of them, again, found the will of God elsewhere. Some of them's visitors from out of town just passed through. But there's a lot of them, and I could call names, you could call names, that wouldn't help us or them, that just didn't stay faithful. Just didn't stay faithful. Every year. Every year I go through that list, and there's names that I delete. Because I know we ain't going to see them again. Not because anybody's done anything, just they're just out. A blessed life is a faithful life. If you can stay faithful to the Lord and stay in and keep serving God, that's a blessing. It's a blessing for you. It's a blessing for your marriage. It's a blessing for your children. Every Listen carefully. Every father can give their children a faithful example. Not every father can give their child an Ivy League education or a brand new car at 16 or a career path. But every father can give their child a faithful example. And if you give them a faithful example, you have blessed their life. Blessed life 
is one that exhibits faithfulness. By the way, how's that happen? The Bible says like a tree planted by rivers of water. You know that water, you've heard me say it a thousand times, water in the Bible, when it's used to wash something, it's a picture of the Word of God. Paul talked about the washing of the Word. And Christ Himself said, Now are you clean through the Word which I have spoken unto you. But whenever water typically is used for nourishment, to drink, it's a picture of the Holy Ghost. Christ told the woman at the well that he, he, that once she drank the water that He would give her, that that water shall be in her a well of water springing up into life everlasting. Unless we wonder what everlasting water is, what that eternal water is in John chapter number 7, John gives us the commentary whenever Lord Jesus at the feast day cried out and said, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come unto me, and I'll give you rivers of living water. John said, This spake he of the Holy Spirit, which was not yet given because Christ was not yet glorified. Isaiah chapter 12 says that believers are to draw with joy water out of the wells of salvation. And that's talking about during this dispensation of grace when the Spirit of God indwells us. But that river of living water, that for that tree is a source of, of nourishment and, and a resource of nutrients, that's a picture of the Holy Spirit. How do, how do I stay faithful, preacher? I want to be faithful. How do I be faithful? You follow His leading day in and day out. This thing ain't complicated. When He convicts you, you listen. When He instructs you, you obey. When He admonishes you about something, you correct it. You just follow His leading. It's that simple. That's the life of Christ living through you. I see in this passage that a faithful man is a blessed man. Number two, I see not only faithfulness, but fruitfulness. The Bible says that bringeth forth His fruit in His season. It tells me a couple things. One, not everybody's fruit looks the same. Bringing forth His fruit. See, an orange tree doesn't grow apples. And a pear tree doesn't grow pineapples. They grow what is a natural reproduction and extension of themselves. Now, there's probably an application that could be made here about soul winning. But I find this, that God doesn't necessarily... He, he expects the same standard of, of what's right and wrong. He expects... He injects the same truth in our life. And He expects the same obedience in our life. But, what God is going to elicit from our lives in the way of our service to Him is different for every one of us. One of the things that I always advise young pastors in is be yourself. Be yourself. A lot of preachers burn out on ministry trying to be somebody else. Be yourself. Who you are in the Lord, but be yourself. And a lot of Christians think they have to measure up to somebody else's standard of service. Well, if I don't do what they're doing, I'm failing. Well, I don't know. That may be true. It might be true that if you did what they're doing, you'd be failing because God expects more out of you than out of them. It could be if you did less than what they're doing, you'd still be succeeding. See how complicated it makes things. No, there's different different fruit. His fruit. You worry about you serving God. You, you make sure you're doing what God expects you to do. God will tend to the rest of His kids. One of the hardest lessons, man, we've had tried to teach my little one, is He ain't that one's parent. Because let me tell you something, you're five years old, and all of a sudden, after five years, you ain't the littlest person in the house anymore. You've got a lot of opinions to make known. You've got a lot of stuff to say. And you got a lot of wisdom to pass along. 
And all of a sudden, man, you ain't the littlest one in the room and anything he does. Schofield, don't. And we'll say, Lawrence, don't. You ain't his daddy. You leave him to us. Don't worry about everybody else. God will tend to the rest of his kids. You quit trying to parent them. Instead, you just see to it that you're walking with God. But then I see this, that not everybody has the same season. His fruit in His season. We get real impatient on the Lord. There might be... Listen, your season might be longer than someone else's season. It might be shorter. It might be at the same time as somebody else, or it might be at a totally different time. But at the end of the day, you know what we find? That if that tree will just stick in and keep growing and keep surviving that at least once a year it's going to have a season. It's going to bear fruit. I think this, that if we can content ourselves to do what the Lord wants us to do and to trust the consequences to Him, we'll have found one of the great keys to living a blessed life. We ought to all be fruitful, but we ought to leave the fruitfulness. You know what the Lord Jesus said? I don't know if you remember this, but it was in John chapter number 4. And whenever he went and spoke to the woman at the well, he went out of his way and and he must needs go through Samaria. You've heard it preached a hundred times. But the Bible says that his disciples went into the city to buy food because the Lord Jesus hadn't eaten anything. And when they come back, they find him and he ain't eating. Instead, he's talking to this woman and he's witnessing to this woman. And they're worried about him because they said he hadn't eaten in, in, in days or however long it had been. They said he needs to eat something. So they go and they say, Master, why don't you eat something? And the Lord Jesus makes a profound statement. He says, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. He did not say, my meat is to bear fruit. He did not say, my meat is to win the world. He did not say, my meat is to build a great ministry or a great movement. He did not say, my meat is to win this woman to myself. He said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. The day that we content ourselves with the work, when our meat is to do, not to succeed, but to do, is the day that we learn what it means to succeed. Can I give you one final point here? I see in this passage that fruitfulness is a part of a blessed life. Faithfulness. Look at the last phrase. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth prosper. This immediately made me think about an instance that happened in the Gospel of Matthew. It's in Matthew and and Mark. But the Lord Jesus left Jericho, and he was on his way to Jerusalem. And as he was traveling, the Bible says that uh, verse number 21, or verse number 18, excuse me, of Matthew 21, Now in the morning as he returned into the city, he hungered. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it, found nothing thereon but leaves only. Now, Mark sort of expands on that and says that this fig tree, it looked like it should have had figs. It wasn't time yet for it to bear figs, but it had all the signs of having figs. And so when the Lord Jesus sees it, now he knows because he knows everything. But when he sees it, he says, I'm hungry, I'm going to go get some figs off of it. But he goes... The Bible says he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only, and said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforward forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. Now, it wasn't the fruit that withered away. So how do you know that, preacher? Because it didn't have no fruit. It was its leaf that withered. Why did it wither? 
because it fell out of favor with the Creator. I think a blessed life is a life that enjoys and pursues the favor of God. You know, John said we're to do all things well-pleasing in His sight. In His sight. Sure, we look at it and say, Whatsoever He doeth shall prosper. But we understand that doesn't necessarily mean in this time, in this season, here on earth. But what it means is that God will prosper it. Why does God prosper it? Because He's pleased with it. You know, you know what will make 2019 a blessed year? If you can live and be pleasing to the Lord. May not mean a nicer car or a bigger home or any of those things we could talk about. But if you finish out this year, and even if you've pleased nobody else, if you've pleased the Lord with your life, then you've had a blessed year. You've had a successful year if you've lived and been pleasing to the Lord. I think we ought to commit ourselves to it, to be honest. You say, well, preacher, there's only 11 months yet. Well, scoop up January of 2019 then. Make it 12. I think we ought to commit ourselves to say, I'm going to get in the Bible. I'm going to let the Bible get in me. I'm, I'm going I'm to love the Word. I'm going to labor in the Word. Even if I don't understand it, I'm going to stick in. I'm going to read it. I'm going to commit myself to it. I'm not going to accept bad counsel. I'm not going to be mad at people. I'm not going to be ugly to people, but I'm not going to seek out counsel from those that are ungodly or living out of the will of God. I'm not going to, I'm not going to live and, and, and dwell in sin. I'll make mistakes, but when I make a mistake, I'm going to ask God's forgiveness. I'm going to repent of it. I'm going to turn away from it. And I'm not going to sit in the seat of the scornful. If I get myself in a bad condition, I'm going to allow the Holy Ghost to convict me. And I'm going to obey the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to repent. And I'm going to ask God's forgiveness. And I'm going to submit my heart and life unto Him. And I'm going to commit that at the end of 2019, I will have been faithful in serving the Lord. I will have been fruitful in that I will have served the Lord and done and finished His work. And I will have enjoyed the favor of the Lord. And that I'll have lived and been pleasing unto Him. I think that's the best New Year's goal anybody could have.